Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. You want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 18, looking at verses 9 through 14 this morning. We are finishing up our series on the parables that we did this summer. Hopefully it was, uh, it was helpful to you as we thought through the various parables and looked at the words of Jesus. Um, you know, as we looked through the parables, we had two, two hopes, two aims, two goals in this. Is one is to provoke reflection. As we open God's Word together, that we would provoke a reflection of, what, Lord, what are you saying to me? Where do I find myself in this parable? And secondly, it was, the hope would be to be a response towards the Lord or to move us towards the Lord. And so there's, a, there's the hope of reflection as we look through the parables, but then the goal isn't just to stay with ref, you know, inward reflection, but the goal would be to move us towards the Lord, that there would be a response in our hearts towards Jesus Christ. And so this morning we, we continue on with that. Next week, next week we begin our series on prayer. And I am eagerly anticipating our season, our time of prayer that we're going to spend this fall. And um, I can't wait to get started. I can't wait to hear how the life share groups, the small groups are doing, how we are doing individually and how we're doing corporately to see the way in which the Lord is going to move amongst his people as his people cry out in prayer to him. I'm looking forward to that. I need to grow in this. I believe this is as a church, we, we have we have every opportunity to grow in uh, the grace of prayer. And so I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's, let's pray. Let's, let's commit our time to the Lord and just ask him to, to help us this morning. So Lord Jesus, God, thank you for the incredible privilege that you've given us this morning to gather before your word. God, thank you so much that you continue to speak to us today, Lord, that we recognize our hunger our need for you. We recognize, God, we need your word speaking to us. We need your word, Lord Jesus, provoking us towards you. So, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and move in this place, soften our hearts, open our eyes, unplug our ears. Let us see you. Let us hear your voice this morning. And, God, I pray that we would be changed. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be changed as we behold your glory in your word. In your name we pray, amen. So the eclipse, all right, the eclipse, it was estimated that this was the largest, I don't know, the largest viewed eclipse in the history of the U.S. Um, They estimate that over half of the population of the United States watched the eclipse, okay, 20 million people watched the eclipse from the path of totality that stretched from really Oregon all the way to the the East Coast. Now, how many people went outside to view the eclipse? A lot, okay. How many people looked up at the eclipse without glasses on? All right, so a few people, yep, okay. Now, let me ask you this. When you are in the path of totality, right, when you're in the, that, that, that band that stretched across the United States, when you're in the band of totality, right, and this, the sun is completely blocked by the moon, what are you supposed to do with your, your glasses? 
Take them off, right? What happens if you keep the glasses on? Can't see anything. It's, it's worthless. I was watching a, an interview that they did with this lady who was, I think, the chief director or some, something like that of the, the, of the NASA team that put together the whole eclipse, you know, data and figured out all the, the map and everything. And, and what she said was this, basically, she said, it is so sad to me because she said she's only viewed a couple of eclipses the way that, you know, totality and you see the, the beads and the, the diamond ring and all that kind of stuff. She said, it's so sad to me to think that there's people who are in the path of totality, they have their glasses, they've made the trip, they're outside, they're, they're there, they're, they're, they're in the, the presence of that, that, that glorious moment, and they forget to take their glasses off. And really, they miss the point of the whole thing, okay? See, that's so sad to me when that has, like, you didn't take your glasses off? Did you forget? Were you just afraid that the rays were going to still hurt you? You know, who knows why they didn't take their glasses off, but they, they miss, they're, they're there, they're present, they're, they're this, this moment of a lifetime, and they do not take their glasses off, and they miss the beauty of the eclipse. Could be at the right place, could be at the right time, you have the opportunity of a lifetime, and you miss the point of the whole thing by keeping your glasses on. Now, as we get to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, sadly, this begins to describe one of those situations, okay? One of those situations takes place. So let's begin reading in verse 9, chapter 18. Speaking of Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, we're right from the get-go, we're introduced, right? So we're introduced to a problem. This is one of two parables in the Gospels that give us the reason for the parable before the parable. So he introduces us to this issue. There's people, to this parable, to some who trusted in themselves. There's a, re, a relational aspect that's broken between them and the Lord, but there's also a relational breakdown between them and other people. They've got two major issues here. Verse 10, here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So verse 10, we, we get the where, the what, and the who, right? So where are they going? Temple. What are they there to do? Pray. And who's there? Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisees, I'm just going to do this briefly because we've done this in the past. Pharisees were, were, as much as we read the Gospels and we get this idea that the Pharisees were just really awful people, terrible people, out, just out for no good, they were, they were sincere in their faith, in their belief in what they were doing. They were zealous for the Lord. They desired to serve the Lord in the way that they knew best. So the Pharisees, it wasn't like a, whole, a massive group of Pharisees, right? Out of the Jewish population of the Roman Empire at the time, there were 4 million Jews in the Roman Empire, of which 3,000 were Pharisees. 
And if you break that number down, I believe it's less than one-tenth of one percent of the people were actually Pharisees. This is not a very large group of people. This is a very small percentage of people were actually Pharisees. I mean, these guys were the elite. They were the ones who were very sincere, very earnest, very zealous for their faith. You're not signing up for the Pharisees unless, man, you really, really want to completely change your entire life and all your thinking and all your friends and everything. And so they built around God's word, they built tens of thousands of laws so they would never transgress God's word. And because of this, in their society, there was a great respect for their authority. There was a great respect for their understanding of Scripture. These guys weren't just a bunch of jokers running around. There was respect for the Pharisees. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, we have the tax man, right? The tax collector. And the way that the Romans did taxes at the time is that they would, they would gather, if it was in Palestine, in the Jewish area, they would say, hey, we're going to gather some of the Jews who know the people, know the customs. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to let out a certain area, a taxation area, to the highest bidder. So different people would bid on these taxation areas. They'd award that area to the highest bidder. And then what the Roman government would do is say, okay, you go ahead and you tax the people, pay us our cut, Whatever you extra you, you collect, that's your cut. And so they had taxes for everything. There were highway taxes, there were land taxes, there were bridge taxes. I mean, this is like the state of Illinois on steroids, okay? There was taxes on everything. And so you could see where here it was, your cousin, your brother, your best friend is now a tax man, and he's working for the oppressive pagan government collecting taxes, and he's collecting well above what he should be collecting, and it's nobody's happy with this guy. Everybody hated this guy. He was, he was an outcast. He was someone who you did not want to hang out with. You did not want to be around. There's a huge stigma about this guy. So let's move on to verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And that ends his prayer. Now, we have to remember, he's standing afar off. When the Pharisee walked into the temple, right, all eyes were on him. What's he going to do? Where is he going to go? How is he going to pray? And, and oftentimes when, when, I'm, when I'm in a group of, of, of family or different places where there needs to be a prayer, right, all eyes turn to me like, hey, we need someone to pray. Okay, Johnny, you're going to pray, right, because you're the guy who prays. And so... So I pray, which is great. I love to do it. But when this guy, when the Pharisee showed up to pray, everyone's like, shh, 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 hey, quiet. Pharisee's about ready to pray. Let's, we want to hear what he's going to say. And this, this guy surely knows how to pray. I mean, he is, this guy is hardcore religious. And we're curious how, so every, it, there have been people at hushed tones now at this point because he is going to pray. And, and guess what? 
He's, he's, he's a praying all-star, right? If we're going to play a game of Bible trivia, we're all picking the, the Pharisee on our team first, right? Not the tax guy. We're, everyone's going for the, the Pharisee because this guy knew the word. And he begins his prayer to God by reminding God of all that he has done for God. So he begins his prayer by saying, look, God, just so you know, this is who I am. This is what I've done. I'm not like this guy over here or that guy over there. Now, when you hear this prayer, when you hear his prayer, we're tempted to think, man, this guy is a piece of work, right? Don't we think that? We hear this and think, man, this guy is just, what a joke. Who prays like this? Who says this stuff? Now, when we do that, when we do that, and I do that, are we not doing exactly to him what he did to everybody else? Right? Hey, man, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. Man, the way that guy prays, I would never pray that way. Come on now. You all agree with me now. Come on. That guy's a joke. I mean, he's praying to himself. I mean, he's listing off his, his accolades and his accomplishments. I mean, we would never do that. God, thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee who prays about himself. I'm much better than that. We can do the exact same thing. All right, moving on to verse 13. But the tax collector, but the tax collector, standing far off. Now, we have to remember, we were just given the, the Pharisee's prayer mentions very little about his posture and just a lot, of, a lot of his prayer. Now we're turned to verse 13, and this is a lot about his posture and a very little bit about his prayer. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the New Living Translation, it reads that he beat his breast in sorrow. In the original, in the original languages, it's a continuous action. He's beating his breast as he's praying. He's hitting his chest in sorrow as he's crying out to the Lord. And he ends his prayer, even though we read a sinner. In the original language, it's, he says, the sinner. He's beating his breast. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. He recognizes his guilt before the Lord. He's not hiding anything. And he knows that everybody in the temple also realizes who he is and what he's done. Especially Almighty God. He can hide nothing from God. And he's beating his breast, calling out to the Lord for mercy. He ends it by saying, The sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, this tax collector, the sinner, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the, the Pharisee had an opportunity of a lifetime. 
He was at the right place. He's at the temple. It's the right time. He's there for prayer. God was listening. Mercy was available. And he never took his glasses off. He had every opportunity. And he completely missed an opportunity of a lifetime. Mercy. Mercy from God. There was an opportunity for mercy. It was right there. And he missed it. The Pharisee was in the path of totality. He never took his glasses off to see the glory of the Lord. I just want to bring us a couple of thoughts as we, as we think about this parable. See, as the tax collector, the tax collector realizes his place before God and he recognizes who God is. This past week, one of our kids was in class and the principal walks into the class and says to the class, someone has stolen something from the library. This isn't a joke, by the way. This really happened, okay? So he says, someone stole something from the library, and we think it's someone in this class. So I, what I'd like you to do is I want the whole class to write their name on a, on a piece of paper, and then below your name write, I did it or I did not do it, right? So you, did you steal or did you not steal? And if you confess to what you've done, there'll be a lesser punishment. But if you don't confess, and we find out it was you, there's a greater punishment. So the class fills out the pieces of paper, hand them up to the principal, the principal looks them over. No one did it. No one confesses to it. Everyone's innocent. Now, after the paper was passed forward, he said, okay, no one took the opportunity to confess their sin. Here's the deal. We have cameras everywhere. And we know exactly who took the stuff out of the library. So so-and-so points out the student, will you please come with me? That person had to stand up in front of the class, go with the principal, and leave the room. Busted. See, I think number one, as we, as we look at this parable, it's so important for us to own it. To own it. To own what we've done. To, own the, to take responsibility before the Lord for the areas of, of relational breakdown, the, the mess that we've made of things, the, the areas of pride in our lives, that somehow in, in the midst of all that we are before God, that we would own it. It's not someone else's fault. As, 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 we, as we talk to kids, and tell me if you've ever experienced this, you say, why did you hit your sibling? And they say, because they hit me first. No one says, yeah, I did that. It's always someone else's fault. I asked a, a police friend of mine this week, and Mark, you could tell me if you've ever had this experience. And I said, okay, when, when you pull somebody over for speeding or whatever is going on, does anybody ever say, yeah, I did that, I was speeding? Or does, anyone, does everyone give you an excuse or argue with you for why you, they were pulled over? And he's like, people always argue. No one's ever in his presence ever sped or did an unsafe lane change or whatever. No one's ever done that in the history of the world. 
around a police officer. Everyone's always going, you know, it's always an argument. No one ever owns what they've done. It's always an excuse. It's always an argument with the police officer. As a matter of fact, he said he's, a, this friend of mine, was, is, he's getting more into uh, detective work, and so he has, he's got to interrogate people at times and ask them, okay, did you do this? And so typically he said what happens is we'll ask the person, okay, were you at the gas station when it was robbed? No. Okay, we have your DNA and we have your fingerprints at the scene of the crime. And we're about ready to go pull the video from the, from the gas station. Okay, then they say, well, okay, maybe I was there. Okay, maybe. Just possibly I was there. He's not sure yet. But he said it's not until you're backed into a corner till you actually confess that you've done what you're what you, what you confronting you with. But here's the thing about the tax collector. He owns it. He owns it. That's who he is. I'm the sinner. It's no one else's fault. It's not Rome's fault. It's not my, my, the people around me. This is my fault. And actually, going back to the original language again, what he says in the original language is this. Let your anger be removed. Look, I've done some stuff that I know you are angry about. There's no doubt about it. What I've done, what I've said, the way I've taken money, the way I've cheated, the way I've lied, I've done this. Let your anger be removed because I am guilty. I'm the sinner. I think for us, the challenge for us, the challenge for us, each one of us, is this, that we would own what we've done. We'd own it before the Lord. There would be confession before God. God, this is the part I've played. God, this relationship breakdown between my spouse or my kids or my family or my friends, Lord, this is, what, this is the part that I've played. I am guilty before you. I've gossiped or I've slandered or I've, I've lied or I've been dishonest about numerous things. And we'd own that before the Lord. We'd own that before the Lord. The pride in our hearts, even our apathy towards the Lord. I think, man, Lord Jesus, as we sing these songs this morning, I've, we're, we are in the path of totality. We have an opportunity to lift our voice to the Lord, to cry out to Him for mercy. And I'm busy thinking about what we're going to have for lunch after the service. Or I'm still thinking about what I'm doing this afternoon. Or I'm trying to wrangle my kids or whatever's going on. And I'm distracted and I'm angry or whatever's going on. And I just need to come before the Lord and say, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm in the path of totality. Right place, right time. Every opportunity, God, you've given me. It's the first thing we do. We own it. Second thing we do is that we ask for mercy. This is a simple prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. We own it, and then we ask for mercy. This is the good news of the gospel, that mercy is available, that there's mercy available for us. Whether you're a Pharisee or a tax collector, we all need mercy. 
That's what this world needs. We need the mercy of Almighty God in our lives. That no matter what we've done, where we've gone, what we've said, or the way we've responded to God, or the way that we've not responded to God, Lord, we need your mercy. And God says, there's mercy available. There's more mercy than you could ever imagine available for you right now. All you got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask. And there is mercy lavished upon you. The sinner, the tax collector, goes to his house justified, forgiven, restored, redeemed. Can you imagine that? The guy, the least likely candidate, the guy who's got sins piled atop of sins, the guy who we'd never think would ever meet Jesus and receive mercy is walking home justified. And the guy who said to himself, hey, I'm okay on my own, completely misses the point. And Jesus says, there's mercy available to you. Oh, there's mercy available. There is mercy upon mercy available. Because what we don't know in this, and obviously it ends here, and we can't guess what else would happen. But what happened if the same scenario took place the next week? What if the tax collector came back, the same Pharisee, same tax collector, a week later, show up at the temple, same prayer? Would the tax collector still be, would mercy still be available for the tax collector? Even after he's lived a week of maybe he's still stealing, lying, cheating, would mercy still be available for the tax collector? Yeah. Absolutely. That's the unbelievable goodness, love, grace of God. Mercy is available to his people. Jesus Christ has made a way for you and I. He's made available to us mercy upon mercy. His life and death and resurrection upon the cross has sealed and guaranteed mercy for his people. He's promised us, no matter what transpires in your life, no matter, no matter the mess that we can make of our own lives, the breakup of, of the relationships around us and the, the pain that we may cause, there is mercy available for us. Jesus Christ has taken upon his body all of our sin, past, present, and future, all of it. Upon his body on the cross, when we look to him and say, Jesus, you stand in my place, there is nothing but mercy left for his people. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. My hope for us this morning, my prayer for us as a church this morning, is that we would lift our eyes towards the Lord. And we would cry out to God and God say, we own what we've done. This is the part that I've played. And Jesus, would you give mercy? And the resounding answer from heaven is yes and amen. That is the hope that we have in Jesus this morning. It's not based upon our works. It's not based upon what we've done this week or haven't done. Because if we did that, the Pharisee would be the guy leaving justified, not the tax collector. It's completely based upon the mercy and the grace of God that is available to his people 
right now. We're going to close in prayer. Tim's going to lead us in communion. But we're going to take a moment to pray. I'd like for us to do is just a moment of silence. Silence is hard for us. We don't have a whole lot of moments of silence in our lives sometimes. Let's take a moment, take a minute or two of silence before we begin communion. And I want us to cry out to the Lord in our hearts or out loud if you need to. And we'd own it. And then we'd ask God for the gift of mercy. Let's pray.